Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of Meta Strategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Emmett Keefe. Emmett's an operating partner at Insight Partners, a venture capital and private equity firm with over $30 billion in assets under management. He focuses on accelerating digital transformation at large global companies by driving the awareness and adoption of transformative enterprise software. Emmett also advises portfolio chief executive officers on sales, marketing, and business development growth strategies. He has an extensive background as an entrepreneur and board member. In this interview, we discuss the three parts of Insight's investment thesis, an overview of the company's digital acceleration program, Insight Ignite, and the challenges of communication between IT and the rest of the business. We also discuss how Insight partners can save IT leaders many trips to Silicon Valley by finding tech globally, and how the pandemic has accelerated many of the areas the company is invested in. We also discuss the four types of boards that exist based on the size and maturity of those companies and the assistance each needs from its directors. The increased importance on creativity for humans with more AI and automation, Emmett's take on IoT and the cloud, automation, 5G and RPA, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Companies have slogans like, talent is the multiplier. Nothing is more important than hiring people. The real competitive advantage our business has is our people. Yet, so many of the large companies I've worked at had great systems for product development, accounting, materials management. But when it came to people, they managed them on paper and Excel. See, Peter, the values you hang on the wall will stay on the wall if they're not enacted. Zoho people are HCM platform run some of the largest airlines and companies in health and hospitality industry, including running Zoho. It brings together everything you need, HCM, payroll, reporting, planning, to manage and grow your organization. Being cloud-first mobile-ready, it enables your employees to work from anywhere, enter expenses, ask for time off, and leaders can view and approve records live anytime, anywhere. At Zoho, we believe that talent is everything we have, and Zoho People helps us manage and grow it. Find out more at zoho.com slash people. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Emma Keith, welcome to Technovation. It's great to see you. Great to see you as well. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure. Always good to spend time with you, Emmett. Um, Emmett, I, I, I thought we'd begin with your role. You're an operating partner at Insight Partners. Um, unwind that a little bit for those who might not be familiar with it. Talk a bit about Insight Partners and and uh, the areas of focus for the firm, as well as your own personal areas of focus within the firm. Sure. So we're celebrating our 25-year anniversary. And when the firm was first founded, we had three parts of our investment thesis. One was only investing in software. And the second was only what we called back then late stage or, or growth software uh, today, we call it scale-up software, and these are businesses that are between 10 and $100 million in subscription revenue. And then the third part, the most interesting part, is only businesses that are exponentially growing already. So businesses that are kind of past that inflection point where they shoot up into the atmosphere. 
we like to invest shortly after they they uh, they break loose. And over the last 25 years, we've built an extraordinary database of um, many far beyond 100,000 companies that we're now tracking. And so whenever somebody gets Series A money, we start to watch their progress, sometimes for, for years and years. And we're using more and more automation and other technologies to kind of look for signals. And we also have a large team of people that call into more than 10,000 uh, entrepreneurs every year. And we go through this needle in the haystack exercise. And each year we find about 250 companies globally that are accelerating. And then we down select to about 50 investments. And we're currently deploying approximately 3 billion a year into those 50 companies. And we currently have about 30 billion under management uh, in about 200 companies. So as a private equity firm, that's what we do. You know, scale-ups are very unique um, and they're really enterprise ready. Startups, I know many IT leaders visit, uh, visit the Silicon Valley in Israel every year. Most of those businesses are between zero and 10 million in revenue and they're startups and they're solving futuristic problems. Um, what's really interesting about the 250 companies that we find is that they're solving problems that are relevant today. When the market decides, I want to go solve that problem right now, then the category unlocks. Um, so we know exactly what's on the mind of the market. Um, in fact, we're just doing a little project. We're looking back two years to see exactly what were all the problems that the market was trying to solve. And we're even looking backwards 90 days to, to ask the question, what's the market been focused on during the crisis? And we realized that all these things are at the center of digital change. And so that caused us to, to start Insight Ignite six years ago, which is a digital acceleration program. And you can think of it as like part Gartner, part McKinsey, and, and part PE. And what we do is work with large global companies to understand high level, what's their digital strategy? What are all the technology problems they have to solve in order to make that strategy happen? And what are all the non-technology issues they're wrestling with? You know, it might be that their incubator or accelerator is not delivering value, or, or maybe their corporate venture strategy is not working, or, or maybe they have to go through a cultural change. You know, there's many things that they have to do to make this digital change happen. And our whole mission is find all those insights for them, deliver them, and help them get across this, this digital chasm. And if we do that, you know, it's great for the Global 2000, but then it's great for the portfolio at the same time. One of the fascinating sort of meta stories here, Emmett, you and I met a, a decade ago, actually, we, we both came to realize uh, almost exactly 10 years ago, at a point where you were CEO of a technology firm yourself and solving a problem that uh, is in many ways still uh, uh, necessary, uh, but the timing wasn't quite right. Uh, you certainly had some success uh, associated with that. Talk a little bit about your own personal experience and how that colors your experience as a, a net now in the private equity world. Sure. You know, it's, what's interesting about many of these incubators and accelerators is they're, they're solutioning, right? They're trying to come up with new innovative ideas, new tech, new solutions. And I think that the next major shift that everyone needs to make is we actually need to get focused on the problem. We need to work very closely with the business to understand the problems they want to solve. And it's really most important to get clarity around that before you start thinking about the solution. Um, but it turns out that the holy grail is actually timing. And when I started iRise, I spent about a year on the road asking questions about, you know, and I was talking to CIOs and consultants and analysts and developers, all kinds of technology experts. And I was asking, what's the single biggest problem in IT that needs to get solved? And what I kept hearing about was 
the fundamental communication between business and IT is the hardest part and is the thing that causes so many IT projects to go wrong because the business has a hard time communicating what they want. IT has a hard time understanding it. The communication has always been very painful there. Um, so after a year of interviews and realizing that everybody was saying the exact same thing, we set out to start a company that would solve that problem. And we ultimately did. And we grew, we grew to 40 million in revenue, but it was uh, the heavy lift of all heavy lifts. <laughs> it was like, a, I, I tell people I was CEO there for 17 years. It was like a, it was like a 17 year James Bond movie. It was, it was that hard. Um, <laughs> And what I realized later is it was because we were about 30 years ahead of the market. Um, and even now, the problem still hasn't been solved. Um, and, and once I joined Insight Partners and I sort of had a visceral experience with working with companies that are at the center of timing, I realized that timing is absolutely everything. So as a, as a large company, if you shift from solutioning to, to the problem Ultimately, you have to ask a lot of questions about why is now the right time to solve that problem? Um, for example, you know, right now there's a bunch of businesses lifting off around this low code, no code idea, which has been around forever. I mean, it's been the, it's been the holy grail of development forever. Um, but now it's unlocking. And why is that? You know, it's, it's a really interesting question. And what, what drew you to CIOs in the first place, Emmett? Uh, you know, wh why this space? And I, I'd be curious, as somebody who has been involved with them now for multiple decades, the evolution of the role has been really profound. Um, you know, as, as, as somebody also who's, who's been involved with them for a couple of decades, I always try to, you know, I wish I could say that I was smart enough to recognize exactly where we'd all be heading. Uh, but that's probably not quite right. That's, a, that's certainly apocryphal. But I, I wonder, you know, what drew you to CIOs initially? So we were solving a problem that in today's parlance is related to DevOps. It's related to accelerated software delivery. We were solving a problem in that area. And um, we, were, we were proposing fundamental process change and fundamental people change. We were, we were proposing that we wanted to change when prototyping would happen. Normally, prototyping happened a little bit later in the process, and we were saying it should be the very first thing you do. We were also proposing that instead of having designers and developers doing prototyping, it should be product managers and business analysts doing the prototyping. Um, we were also proposing that instead of doing static prototyping, you should be doing um, real-time functional prototyping. So we were proposing a ton of change to solve this problem. And therefore, I realized I had to meet CIOs at scale to see who was actually willing to drive change. And I, I would say... Um, I guess I have to be a little careful what I say here, but <laughs> I, would, I would say if I met 100 CIOs, all 100 would say, yes, this is one of the single biggest problems we have. All 100 would say, I want you to go talk to my team right away about it. But in the end, the number of IT leaders that were willing to actually drive the change and sort of go through all the pain associated with the change, um, there were fewer of those that were willing to do that. And, and therefore, I had to meet... I had to meet CIOs at scale in order to find the ones that are really good at driving change. That's really, that's very interesting, Emmett. And in the process, that James Bond movie that you lived through for 17 years led to building one of the largest CIO networks around, certainly. And right. now you are sort of enacting that have been uh, during your time in Insight Partners in a very different way. 
and realizing and recognizing the symbiosis between private equity and um, investing gen- more generally speaking into tech technology companies and the CIO mm-hmm. community. Um, so some of the symbiosis is obvious in terms of you know if you're doing soft if you're if you're largely investing in software companies, well the the clients of enterprise software are in fact oftentimes CIOs. But the symbiosis actually runs a lot deeper than that. Can you describe your own thought process of that that, that uh, relationship between? Yeah, I mean the the problem that IT leaders are trying to solve is they're looking for technology that'll help them accelerate digital change and. Right now, what most of them are doing is making multiple trips to the Silicon Valley and trips to Israel. And that's the extent of what they're doing. Um, I think what's so interesting about Insight Partners and the fact that we've kind of come down through a few hundred thousand companies and landed on the ones that are solving today's problems, um, we can save IT leaders a tremendous amount of time. Um, We can save them many, many trips to the Silicon Valley, and we, and we can help them find tech globally that's going to accelerate digital change. And what's interesting is, you know, we do invest in businesses from the Valley in Israel, but the vast majority are from places you would never expect. Like we have one in Madrid that's just extraordinary. Uh, we just invested in one in Vietnam. You know, we, we have one in Milan. We have some in Ireland. We have some in Kansas. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. And as an IT leader, you don't have the time. I mean, as a firm, all we do is look globally for this tech and IT leaders just don't have the time to do it. I mean, usually they have one person that part of their job is to keep their eyes on the horizon, but we have a, a whole firm that's focused on that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's really what we're trying to do is just give them the insights they need, the technology they need. It may be things we've invested in, but it may be things we're considering investing in, or it may even be things we've decided not to invest in. Um, so we're happy to, you know, in a way, I think we're almost, I come from a medical family. I almost feel like we're, we're diagnosing problems and then prescribing solutions is, is what we're doing. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, as, as someone who has a reason to, um, come into contact with so many different software companies and the evaluation process you described, as well as someone who spends a tremendous amount of time with global chief information officers. Talk a bit about what you're learning on both sides of that in terms of trends, especially during these most unusual times. What's, what are some of the conclusions you're drawing that are, that are interesting and insightful from your perspective? I mean, what's fascinating, I, at the end of the year, I look back, we had just finished investing out of our 10th fund, which was 6.3 billion. And I did an analysis to look at what were all the different problems that that the market was trying to solve during basically 2018 and 2019. And some of the big ones, there were many things that we invested in related to the hybrid cloud. So cloud native data platforms, cloud native security platforms, um, cloud native data privacy platforms, um, all kinds of CI CD tools that, you know, are for agile and DevOps kind of the, the delivery side. Um, so lots and lots of technology around the cloud. We also made multiple investments into digital experience. You know, things like how do you automate um, end user adoption? Um, you know, or how do you, if, if people are getting stuck in, in the customer journey, how do you find those friction points and, and fix those friction points? Um, you know, we also made an investment in a business that's call center related. How do you create sort of a virtual um, customer experience environment for call center workers. So digital experience was a big topic. Um, cyber was a very big topic for us in that fund. Uh, we actually invested in a couple 
next generation endpoint protection businesses, one for, um, you know, laptops, phones, sort of traditional hardware, but also one for agentless devices, sort of IoT type devices. Uh, we also made a bunch of investments around um, threat detection, you know, next generation threat detection. Um, and then we also made multiple, you know, horizontal data investments. You know, we've been hearing about data being the new oil. And so we made multiple uh, investments there. What's been really fascinating during the crisis, and I, I've done uh, 50 interviews over the last 90 days, it turns out that all these topics have been accelerated up into the atmosphere. So um, digital experience has become a massive topic in the last 90 days. Um, next generation endpoint protection is a huge issue with, with work from home, right? Um, interestingly, data, I think, I would say that data came out of the hype cycle during the crisis. <laughs> this whole data is the new oil thing was just all part of the hype cycle. But now people have realized that data is actually mission critical. So interestingly, many of the things that we invested in have now accelerated even faster. Um, so yeah, I guess that's one of the benefits of investing in here and now technology is when you have a major kind of shift like we've had, it's, you know, it's it, it, it beneficial for the portfolio. Yeah, it's interesting. Another thing that I've always found fascinating about your experience, uh, Emmett, and your philosophy in, in um, curating your ecosystem is uh, although it's certainly on hold at the moment, is gatherings, really interesting gatherings with your network. You, you love to gather people um, with experiences, oftentimes with sporting events, whether it's Wimbledon uh, or, or various uh, car races, Formula One races, for example, to name just a couple of, of many different sorts of experiences you gather people with, where there's a portion of the gathering that's learning and and speaking with one another and sharing topics, and another that's that's just more fun uh, and experiential and gives people an opportunity to get to know each other a bit better. Talk a bit about how you've sort of brought some of your passions as well as your network together and the value that, that you and the, the, the network has derived as a result of that. Well, for those uh, who, who know me, you, you know that I'm a, a motorsports fanatic and a Formula One fanatic. Um, so many of the events that we did in the early days were, were at um, motorsports events. And, you know, there was a nice connection between agility um, and accelerated software development and motorsports. <laughs> so it was, a good, it was a good platform for that. Later, we evolved to many different things. So we've been to Iceland and we've, you know, been to Venice and Austria, Australia, Bhutan. You know, we've been, uh, been all around the world with IT leaders. And, you know, what's interesting is um, we have a three-day very collaborative discussion. So, we typically have a welcome dinner, and then the first day we have a half-day uh, roundtable. Then we do some sort of a life experience excursion. We might go for a hike. We might go whitewater rafting or, or do something where we're sharing an experience together. And then we have another dinner together, and then we have another half-day roundtable, and then we have another excursion. And what's really interesting, and I've, I've only found this um, during the crisis, actually. So we launched a series called Reignite. And we're bringing together all of the roundtables that we've had historically. We're bringing them all back together again, just those 30 people, right? So we're going 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15. We're going backwards in time and bringing all those people back together again. And what's interesting is because they shared a life experience, it's as if it was yesterday. I mean, everybody knows each other as well today as they did in 2015. 
because of that life experience. And uh, we, we talked about this, Peter, but I think in the last 90 days, it's become clear that relationships are more important than ever. So, you know, when companies went into crisis, when they had to get 200,000 people onto teams over the weekend, the back channel lit up. You know, most people have 10 or 20 people that they really trust and everybody's phones and emails were ringing off the hook um, over the last 90 days. And I've heard many people say, you know, I got more done in the last, or we got more done in the last two weeks than we did the previous three years. And a big part of that was they, they leveraged the ecosystem and the back channel. So I, I think it's going to be really, really critical for IT leaders to develop relationships in the future in order to sustain di digital change. And we can talk about this later, but I think also when IT leaders are ready to transition into a plural career, having a thriving net personal network is really critical in order to make that plural career transition. Well, let's talk about that now. Define the notion of the plural career and the various aspects that that, that might take. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody has a dream place they'd, they'd, they'd like to live, right? Whether it's Tuscany or or, you know, um, the Bahamas or Montana or Arizona, everyone knows in their mind, they have a dream of where they'd like to live. Uh, they would love to have more physical and uh, time for physical and mental well-being. They'd love to get in great shape. They'd love to have time for meditation. Uh, they'd like to see their families more and their, and their grandchildren. They'd like to pursue hobbies. They'd like to get involved in philanthropy. They'd like to consult and advise and help some young entrepreneurs. They'd like to sit on some advisory boards and, and do some consulting. And they'd, like, and they'd like to sit on a couple public boards. Um, and that's really what I think the dream scenario is, is this kind of balanced life where you're, you're intellectually stimulated, um, but you have balance. And, you know, most, most executives at Global 2000 companies don't have balance. And so that's really what the dream is all about is achieving that balance. Yeah, that's interesting. And talk a bit about, let, let's dial into the board aspect of that uh, a bit, because you have some perspectives on, on board membership means of attaining it, but also the fact that there are, you know, different kinds of boards. Uh, talk a little bit about the variations of those and your own perspectives on CIOs filling uh, and other technology executives filling those kinds of posts. I think at the highest level, there are probably four different types. There are startups, the ones that are between zero and 10 million scale-ups where we focus. Then you have businesses that have, that are between a hundred million and maybe 2 billion in revenue, uh, that are relatively new public companies. And then you have, you know, FTSE 100 global 2000 type companies. And what those businesses need at each step of the way from IT leaders is something very different. Um, the startups, need help intellectually figuring out, does this problem make sense? Is it relevant? Is now the right time to solve it? Does this solution make sense? They need a lot of help around, you know, should I do this? <laughs> um, and, and they also need help refining the messaging and, and, and learning how to articulate it in a way that makes sense. And they might need a few help with a few um, introductions, but not at scale. They're just trying to get their first few customers, right? When you get to where we are, um, connectivity is super um, critical. You know, these companies are in the eye of the storm. They're they're accelerating fast. They're enterprise ready. They they just received a hundred million or two hundred million in funding. It's like full throttle time. So they they need board members that are extremely well networked to help 
accelerate even further. And then I think as you get to, um, you know, young public companies, it, then it's about, okay, how do we make this business profitable? How do we put together the right management team? You know, how do we expand into new markets? I mean, I think, you know, what's our cybersecurity strategy? What's our digital strategy? So a lot of the fundamental kind of intellectual skills that IT leaders have become very relevant during that period. Um, when you get up to the FTSE 100 and the Global 2000 type companies, it really becomes largely about compliance at that point and, and kind of risk risk and compliance. And so I think as an IT leader, you want to sort of think about, uh, you know, what, what do I enjoy? What's my skill set? What's my domain? What are my different domain areas? How well networked am I? And then you can sort of put together a strategy on the, the types of boards that maybe I should go sit on. Yep, that, that all makes sense. Something you mentioned as you were describing these, uh, the opportunities to get people together and to, um, you know, have these experiences together, it, part of it is thinking about well-being um, and investing in one's mental health in addition to physical health uh, and, and the camaraderie of, of getting together with uh, new friends and old friends. Um, how could, I know mental health is an area of great passion of yours and an area you're spending more uh, time thinking about reflecting on investing uh, your time in as well. Talk a bit about that uh, and the role it plays you know, in your own life and, and more broadly. So I, in 2011, I set out, I wanted to, to make a big impact um, in philanthropy on, a, on something related to international peace and sustainability. These were topics that were very important to my father, and I, I wanted to do something in his honor. Um, as I got deeper and deeper into Ignite and digital change, I realized that creativity uh, was also going to be really critical in the future, right? As, there, as there's more and more automation, more and more AI, creativity for humans is going to be really important. Um, I ended up taking 20 IT leaders with me to Bhutan, and we went on sort of a finding purpose um, executive event in Bhutan. And I ended up meeting a professor from Yale who had spent five years pulling together a curriculum for helping children achieve mental well-being. So they looked through all psycholo uh, psychology, academia, all ancient wisdom. They looked at every source they could find and pulled out every ingredient that would help children be mentally well. And I've since then become very involved in the foundation. And what's interesting is Mental well-being is about having a clear mind, but it's also about having a clear inner self, right? And it turns out that when you have mental clarity and sort of inner clarity, creativity unlocks, productivity unlocks, you're more peaceful, um, and you also become more aware of, of the planet and how important it is. So it turns out that mental well-being kind of ticked the creativity, peace, and sustainability box. And then going back to... Um the Ignite program, the Insight Ignite program you mentioned earlier. Talk a bit about how you kind of bring that to life. Sure. So uh, when a CIO or CDO says they want to partner, the first thing we, we look to do is understand their strategy high level. But then once we understand all the technology challenges underneath that they need to be solved, we start setting up innovation briefings with our investment team that's focused on those specific topics. And, and these are basically 90-minute private Zoom calls with our investment team where we can share, you know, here's all the category leaders in that area. Here's the ones we've invested in. Here's the ones we're thinking about investing in. 
so we can really short circuit and, and get them the technology they need to solve that problem. So that's the first thing we do are these innovation briefings. The second is we produce many different sizes and shapes of roundtables. Right now, it's all virtual, but as the world returns to the next normal, we'll have some combination of in-person and, and virtual events. And those are um, debating all these technology issues, but also many of the people and process issues that in some ways are even more challenging than technology. So we have lots of collaborative discussions about those. And then lastly, we have a very strong Ignite community and we invite people to join our community. We have kind of a public version, which you can find on LinkedIn easily. And once people attend their first uh, roundtable, we invite them into kind of a private Ignite back channel. And so we're really going to help them create that back channel and, and ecosystem for themselves to, to help accelerate change. And so I've gone you know, really heavy in to help them. Here at the tail end of our conversation, Emmett, I wonder if there are any, you've talked about some of the perspectives you're gaining in terms of trends that are rising or, or thoughts on sectors or segments of software, for instance, that are growing in importance. Any others that you wish to mention that have not already been mentioned? As far as categories? Yeah, yeah. Other things like you're, you're beginning to kind of investigate or early yeah. stages as a result of the current, you know, your own, uh, you know, uh, current situation or um, the situation in, in the global economy and the pandemic and so on. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've started a next series of interviews now. I'm going to talk to another 50 IT leaders. Uh, and the question I'm asking is, where are you going to find the cost takeout, right? Because organizations, I think, are going to have to, they're going to have to cut very, very deep as we go into the medium term. And I spoke with an organization yesterday. They have 195,000 employees, and they said they're not going to touch the IT budget because it's too strategic. It's too tied to their digital strategy, so they're not going to touch it. What they're going to do is leave 100,000 employees in the home permanently and take the cost reduction through real estate reductions and all the cost cutting that comes from having employees in the home. That's going to be So I think um, virtual workplace tools are going to be a major topic. We're looking at a lot of investments there right now. Um, I think RPA is going to have a second coming. You know, RPA a couple years ago was very hot. And I think it cooled off because it became clear that the platforms were too brittle and they weren't going to scale. So I think we're going to have a second wave of RPA that will come through that's, that's more stable. Um, automation is going to be a major topic. Um, you know, most organizations right now are accelerating their, their cloud adoption dramatically because they want the agility, but they also want the cost advantage that comes with it. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I think data is going to accelerate and continue emerging as a, as a major, major topic. And, you know, right around the corner is 5G and IoT. Um, I was at a conference recently and there was an IoT panel there. And I asked the question, um, you know, from my point of view, before the crisis, cloud has been in the hype cycle the longest ever. I think it, it set the world record for being in the, in the hype cycle, starting with, you know, Salesforce in 1998. Um, and the question I asked the panel was, is, I, is IoT going to break the record and, and be in the hype curve longer than the cloud? <laughs> and I got a really smart answer from one of the panel members who said, no, because the business case is actually really clear. Um, so I think we're going to see, you know, IoT really emerge um, in the coming few years as well. That's great. Well, Emma Keith, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to get Pleasure. your perspectives from the various uh, perches that you have, uh, both in terms of investing, but also 
in enterprise technology, the buyers of the enterprise technology through CIOs as well. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be Rajiv Ravindran, the Chief Information Officer of Rider System.